and as first generations we inherit this notion of do not forget where you come from because that is who you are and take that and make yourself something here in this space that also belongs to you Welcome to Perennials, a podcast about growing up, getting wise, and trying to live a good life. I'm Victoria Russell. In this episode, I'm talking to poet Marina Carrera. Marina is a queer Luso-American writer from Newark, New Jersey, who holds an MFA in creative writing from Rutgers University. Her chapbook, I Sing to That Bird Knowing It Won't Sing Back, was published in May 2017 by Finishing Line Press. Her first full-length poetry collection, Save the Bathwater, is out now and published by Get Fresh Books. In this episode, Marina and I delve into Save the Bathwater. It's a beautiful, gritty, tender collection of poems that explores the life of a family who, as Marina says, exists in two places at once. The poems in this book draw from Marina's experiences as a first-generation American raised most of the time in the urban landscape of Newark, New Jersey, with summers spent in rural Portugal, her ancestral homeland. Marina writes and speaks so beautifully about what it's like to struggle with and love her family, roots, heritage, and culture. And she does it all with both honesty and tenderness. If you like the conversation, you should definitely check out Marina's books. And also you could hear her read at the Dodge Poetry Festival if you're in the area of Newark, New Jersey. I work for the Dodge Poetry Festival, so I'm a little bit biased, but it's pretty cool. It's the largest poetry festival in North America. It's four days, coming up soon, October 18th through the 21st. Marina will be reading on the morning of the 21st. So for more information, check out www.dodgepoetry.org. Marina, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Victoria. Thank you for having me. So I love Save the Bathwater. I got my copy and I sat down on a Sunday and I just read it out loud to myself, like straight through. And I found myself just thinking a lot about how this is a book that you probably couldn't have written when you were in the thick of growing up, when you were a teenager or even like when you were in college. I would imagine a lot of these poems came um, when you had some distance in time. Um, what kind of sparked these poems for you? Uh, well, first off, I, I wish, I, I hope all my readers are like you and can sit down and sort of digest <laughs> this in one take because it's, it's sort of a lot to digest. Um, but you're, you're absolutely right. This is not um, a work I could have sort of even started um, even later, I think in my twenties, um, even though I, I did, I did start it in my, when I first started my MFA program and I was 27 or 28. So it, it was, it was late in my twenties when I actually started processing, um, my childhood through the lens of, um, sort of being a first generation American, being bilingual, being bicultural, um, being a woman, uh, later on, uh, not so much in this work, but later on in my work, uh, being a queer woman. So it, it was definitely a lot of the themes and a lot of the, the relationships and, and, and the, uh, the, I guess, commentary I make about, uh, growing up, um, in America, Portuguese American, uh, is, is, is all sort of things I, I, I only started processing later, much later on in life. Um, and, and, in a way that I think allows me to honor and respect the people that I'm talking about and sort of the work itself. Um, even though there is a lot of anger and, and I think angst and, and, and definitely melancholy throughout the book, I think there's also, um, I, I, or I hope that there's that the reader still sees that this kid has some hope, right? That, that she sees some hope in the future. Yeah, there's definitely, there's like this kind of grittiness and strength and even kind of a sense of distance, but then there's like this really tender aspect um, to the book and it kind of got me thinking that maybe vulnerability was not something that would be super easy in your family, maybe, I don't know if that was your experience. Absolutely not. Um, um, no, no emotion except I think anger is easy in my family. Uh, it's kind of our default. Um, I, I think I'm probably one of the few people within my immediate family anyway, uh, that allows themselves to be themselves to be vulnerable. Uh, we see, I think culturally, um, Portuguese American people see vulnerability as, as a flaw 
or as a character defect. Um, it means that you're weak, much like, you know, many other things, uh, you know, sensitivity and, and being a good listener and sort of, um, talking about your problems, honestly, uh, just like, you know, all those things, vulnerability is sort of seen as, um, you know, what makes you weak. And, and I really, which, you know, in, in the, in the work, I find it as probably one of its strengths. Yeah. And, and you do such a good job in the book of showing why people would come to the conclusion that you can't be vulnerable or you can't be sensitive because it was really hard, it sounds like, for um, your grandparents and your parents. Um, did they come over at the same time? Like, did your, it was your maternal grandparents, is that right? Yes, my, my maternal grandparents. Um, they came over in 74, uh, sort of right at the tail end of, a, of Portugal shifting um, its, uh, its government from essentially a dictatorship to a democracy. Um, but, and, and they sort of left that um, and came here in, in the 70s and to Newark, uh, to the Ironbound section of Newark. And my mother was 15, so she 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 did some schooling here. She didn't graduate high school because she couldn't navigate sort of the high school American high school experience with her very limited English. Um, and then she went back. My my grandparents sort of went back a few times, and eventually my mom at 19 got married and brought over my father. So he was uh, 22 or 23 when he came over. Uh, but essentially, there was a lot of coming of age for them too. In you know, sort of, there was there was the coming of age for them that I now look in hindsight, I feel like I didn't even document that, but speaks so much to sort of how, you know, their absence in my life and sort of the, uh, the tension between, you know, me or really, you know, the, the speaker and, and her parents. Yeah. Because your grandmother looms like really large in the book and, um, it, you were really kind of raised by your grandparents, right? Like Absolutely. Your, yes. Your yeah. parents mm -hmm. were working and, um, well, your grandparents worked too, right? But they were just, I guess, around more to take care of you they, and your sister. They did. And uh, again, culturally, it's sort of expected for grandparents to be the the sort of well, matriarch or patriarch of the family. And uh, my mom, of course, was a young mother. And uh, like, I think all, all moms, we kind of learn how to be mothers from our own mothers. So uh, my grandmother was always, um, she, she looms big in the family period. Uh, she really is very much the matriarch. And uh, she did raise me. And even though she did work, uh, she worked a few jobs, um, mostly service jobs. Uh, she was she was the primary figure in my life and, and, and sort of the person I looked to as the major mother figure in my life and my grandfather as well, major father figure. Mm. I love how you don't romanticize them at all. Like every person that you reflect on in this book is feels like a full person. Like your grandmother definitely comes across as a nurturer and someone who took care of you and was loving, but you also describe like her bitterness and her homesickness and her heartbrokenness, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It seems like there's also like this kind of very particular like feminine heartbreak kind of, or, or there's a lot of like, mm -hmm, yes, there's this, there's betrayal, right? Yes. And like the woman violence. scorned mm -hmm. scene sort of. Yeah. And even I think the, the speaker as a little girl and even as an adolescent, she carries that and she sort of, that's her inheritance I think mm. is, is bitterness and, and scorn and sort of this, uh, this, uh, you know, what could have my life have been had I not made certain choices mm. or, or, or had I not, you know, left home, home in the sense of, you know, physical home and, and home in the sense of who I think both her, my grandmother and my mother, and even myself, who we thought we were going to be as women. Mm. Um, so, so the, yeah, there's, I, I, I try to, I mean, it was really, I was really nervous when, um, when the, when Get Fresh told me that they, they wanted to publish the book. Um, I was excited, but nervous too, because I, I'm like, you know, my parents are going to read this. My family is going to read this. And, uh, you know, I, I'm very, I'm very sort of honest about who they were as people. You know, my mother was a very, 
um, busy woman. She was she was very as as loving as she was to to us in in, in certain moments. She was also very distant, you know, and she very much st- stepped back and let my grandmother sort of run the show and 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 quote unquote raise us. Uh, you know, my father was a very hard worker um, and a he was a family man, but he was a family man in the sense of um, you know sort of order and discipline, mm-hmm. not. Um, you know, in the sense of the dad that would play with you or the father that would, um, you know, sit down and read a book. That just wasn't my experience. So I, I think that's that's another major thing I wrestle with, too, how my childhood in America was not an American childhood, mm. um, you know, where I had friends whose parents took them, whose dad was a little league coach and whose mom took them to the movies like that was not ever my reality um if I did anything outside of the home or outside of school it was via my grandparents uh so yeah I mean it was it's hard to sort of talk about um them as these flawed people um people with all sorts of different issues but I think it's it's important to that I remain honest um because I couldn't have written these poems if I if I didn't sort of talk about who, who they really were. Um, because in, in the end, I think they, they, or at least in my head as, as sort of the writer of, of this project or of this work, um, I feel like they've redeemed themselves mm-hmm. in the end. Um, maybe, maybe only, if only by the fact that I've, I've written this and, and kind of, you know, accepted it and, and look back now with a sort of okayness with it. I'm, I'm, I've reconciled myself with, with any, any of the sort of, you know, ghosts of the past that this book sort of talks about. Yeah. And it's like, one of the reasons I wanted to start this podcast was because I wanted to talk about what does it actually mean to grow up and not just like, not just get older, like everyone gets Mm -hmm. older and not everyone grows up. Right. Yeah. (laughs) And it seems like part of, really growing up is accepting things and being able to look at the good and the bad and, and be able to see the different shades of people. And I always think a lot about like forgiveness, especially when Mm -hmm. it comes to family, any relationship, but in families, I wonder like what role forgiveness might've played for you in terms of being able to write about your family and things that they might have done that hurt you. But also, mm-hmm. I know for me, it's like reflecting on the ways that I have come up short or the things that I mm-hmm. wish I had done differently by my family. So I'm wondering what role forgiveness played in writing this. So, I mean, I'm sure I've said this already, but um, sort of anger, this this sort of quiet very deep rooted anger was sort of the, the, the catalyst for the work. Um, when I started writing these poems, I realized that I was not ang- angry and, and sort of, and soldada, which is uh, sort of the Portuguese notion of melancholy and nostalgia and, and sort of this, um, this sense of hopelessness. And, uh, so those, those were sort of the, the vehicles to, to, to start the work, but, by the time I literally finished like the final draft, um, I, the book really was writing the book really is sort of an act of forgiveness, not only to, to sort of the, the, the people then book that sort of created, you know, these negative feelings and sort of these negative childhood experiences for, for the speaker, but for the speaker herself, um, to sort of look back now and, and, and obviously this is a very super autobiographical book. So, um, as in, in, even when I read through the poems, I'm like, wow, you know, I, I remember, you know, still being so angry about that, but at the same time being able to, to look at that poem and say, you know, yes, you know, the mother in the poem did this, but it was because she didn't have this. So it, it sort of helped me to see really these characters or, or the, yeah, these characters in the book as whole human beings um, and, and allowing me to sort of forgive, um, you know, the trespasses essentially um, of, you know, growing up and, and sort of having a contentious relationship with parents and, and, you know, and, and the, the contentious relationships within family dynamics, whether it's, you know, uh, a grandmother and her daughter, which is my mother, um, or, you know, a, 
son-in-law and you know his father-in-law um there's I, I what I, what i hope happens at the end is that there is sort of this collective forgiveness um for all these characters that they just kind of realize that they survived this this experience here as immigrants together and and sort of i am the product of that and essentially this book is the product of that yeah i'm so it's so interesting that you bring up anger as the catalyst because i think that that's something I've been thinking about a lot in particular is like women's anger because there are so many women I know who, and I see in myself, there's like a rage. Mm, <laughs> like mm-hmm. there's like this just below the surface and it doesn't come out. It usually doesn't come out for everyone. Right. It comes out. It's contained. Mm-hmm, and then with like in these really close, maybe one or two really close relationships or in family relationships, like it comes out and people on the outside are like, whoa, she's crazy, you know? Yes, yeah. And it's like, if you can actually pull aside all these layers, it's, Mm -hmm. there's like this, there's often just this like heartbreak or just this Mm -hmm. hurt. Um, Mm -hmm. And then in terms of kind of the redemption, I think the note that you end on in the book, um, that the poem thread, you have this view of the grandfather who in previous poems we get the sense that he has um, betrayed the grandmother and that there's anger towards him, but it ends on this really tender note towards him and this sense of caring on his part. Um, And it's just so beautiful. And it just so beautifully kind of represents that idea of there being these different shades to people and there being that that note of redemption. Yeah, um, I I hope that's... I sort of wonder how how effectively I straddled the line in trying to describe this really loving, loving grandfather, um, who who was not always, who was not the best husband, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but was also a hard worker. Yes. Um, you know, but was also a tough father. Uh, so you know, we're 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 very multi layered people. People in general have so many dimensions to them. So I, I wanted to end on thread, um, not only because I, I think it you know sort of very literally ties things up, um, but I I wanted to to sort of end on a note that 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 said no matter what these people are all connected and they're going to remain connected um, sort of despite, you know, betrayal, despite anger, despite, um, you know, whatever issues they have, um, you know, personally or, or, or in relationships um, that there is this sort of this, this, that love essentially, you know, love maternal love grant, you know, grandparental love um, even, even, you know, romantic love still sort of is, 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 is still very much, um, present and, and really is what keeps them together. Um, so as much as, as much as these characters hurt the hell out of each other, they very much cannot be separated. Um, so I, I, I was hoping that that was, you know, an, an idea or a nuance that, that the reader sort of captured towards the end. Yeah. I think you did that really well. And, also, I think in terms of that idea of of people being multi-layered, I think what's so interesting is because you are a Luso-American and you come from an immigrant family, um, it's so explicit that the the layered identities are so explicit, especially for you as a first generation mm-hmm. Um even just in the way that you have these two really distinct landscapes, it seems like that you grew up in. There's the Ironbound of Newark, and Newark mm-hmm. is the biggest city in New Jersey, and it's and the Ironbound is the largest community of Portuguese American families, yes. right? Yes, yes, and, yes. And then there's or it was the, at one time, yeah. And then there's the small village in Portugal. Um, mm-hmm. The grandmother is from, right? Yes, yes, yes. Well, well, sort of where they live anyway. Mm. She, my grandparents were from two different towns, but they eventually settled in actually my father's village okay. where his parents were from. But okay. yeah, it's, it's yeah, essentially. And it seems like they are very different places. Is that fair to say? 
Yes. Um, so I definitely wanted to play with um, sort of blurring landscapes, um, both in the sense of physically, I, I sort of wanted the, the reader to be lost um, in the sense of, okay, where are where where is she now? Because I do hop very much from being, you know, in front of a church um, and, and sort of a square, a village square where people are hanging out to then hopping into, you know, the, the apartment on Market Street, right? The kitchen or, or sort of the bathroom or wherever the, where we happen to be. Um, and, and that was very purposeful because I, 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 with that, I also wanted to convey this idea of this, the notion of existing in two places at once. And I think that's, that's something that's very much at the heart of the immigrant experience. Mm -hmm. Um, and, 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 and as first generations, we carry it. That is what we, we are. We inherit that this notion of do not forget where you come from, because that is who you are and take that and make yourself something here in this space that also belongs to you. So, you know, growing up, I constantly straddled the line, just like the speaker does of, you know, where do I really belong? What am I part of? You know, I felt always too American to be truly Portuguese, you know, cause I spent all of the, all my summers as a kid in Portugal. But then when I came, you know, when I, when I came back, I always felt too Portuguese to be truly American. So this blurring of landscapes and sort of hopping back and forth um, geographically, I wanted to be that, extend that metaphor and just say, you know, she, she really does exist in religious spaces, um, you know, where it, it can very much be, you know, whatever is happening to the speaker is happening, you know, in, in the apartment in Newark or sort of in the woods in Finyaish. Mm. Um, so I, that was very much on purpose. Growing up between these two places, did you feel like parts of your identity you could really explore in one place and didn't it didn't fit so well in the other and vice versa? Like, did you find different parts of yourself were more accentuated when you were in Newark versus when you were in Portugal? Yeah, um, growing up, I mean, growing up, I was, you know, very much as a kid, I, I felt like a prisoner when I was in Newark. Mm. Uh, you know, my parents were always very scared to let us, um, you know, go to the park by ourselves or walk by ourselves. Uh, Newark has always sort of remained, had very unfairly this reputation of being a very, you know, dangerous city. Um so uh, growing up, I did feel sort of like a prisoner in spaces like my grandmother's apartment or in my own home. Um, and and even though I did, I, I managed to sort of, you know, go to the park and, and, and go shopping with my grandmother on Broad Street or, you know, hang out with my dad wherever he happened to be, whatever bar or restaurant he was. Um, there was only there were certain spaces that were sanctioned in Newark where I was allowed to to be and, and, and considered safely. Whereas in Portugal, um, because it was very rural place, it's, it's a village, like very, I mean, I grew up, I, I still saw like, you know, horse and carts or donkeys and carts and, and, you know, people still didn't have like, you know, electricity in some of their homes and people still used outhouses. So, um, but I felt a freedom in, in those summers in that time I was there because it did, I, I can literally walk, three miles I can take my bike into the next town over and for some reason my parents and my family my grandparents didn't worry or their worry was minimal um because to them their homeland you know crime didn't exist um danger was very you know limited there was just sort of a trust that they had in their homeland that they absolutely did not have here so um I, I definitely felt I was allowed to explore um my I definitely tested my boundaries growing up um you know when I was you know sneaking out of the house at night or or whether it was you know sort of um you know exploring places by myself and and uh sort of understanding the differences between how a young girl grows up in Portugal and a young girl grows up in America. Um, and just something that that's, was always glaringly obvious to me was American women or American girls were considered prudes, um, whereas like Portuguese girls were considered um, a lot more open and a lot more, um, I guess, feminist to say. I mean, that's weird, but a lot more... Um, kind of forward thinking and, and open and, uh, and sort of rebellious. 
where I, you know, where that was not the case here or not my experience mm. or understanding of how a girl grows up here. That's so interesting because I would imagine most people think it's the opposite. opposite like, oh, yeah. Americans are so progressive and back in Portugal, people would be more like the girls would be more, I don't know. Well, they might have acted, you know, they might have acted, but it it was just sort of, they had a permission to, to exist that mm. I think I didn't have here, um, where they weren't like, I, I just like very much here. I knew like girls don't talk like this and this is how mm. girls dress. And this is how girls, um, this is what girls watch. This is this is what girls are good at. This is what girls are not good at. Um, where in Portugal, you know, girls rode bikes and girls, you know, caught frogs and girls were allowed to hang out with boys and it was not a big deal. Uh, it just, it, it was a very, you know, while, while it, it, there was always an innocence that I think um, Portuguese have about their children. Um, I mean, I don't know if that's true anymore. I'm, I'm directly talking about my experience and my understanding growing up. Whereas here growing up, I felt like Americans don't trust their children mm. or they, they think that kids are, are not smart enough to, to sort of exist and make good choices and whatever, you know, whatever it may be a choice about. Yeah. And I also think it took me until I was maybe in my early twenties to realize like, Oh, girls aren't really like female adolescence feels like a mm-hmm. new con- a new concept right mm-hmm. now in mm-hmm. at least mm-hmm. in in this country at this point in time. Yeah. Like, yeah. I didn't realize until I was a little bit older like I never I never really acted like an adolescent, you know. It it's mm-hmm. kind of um I always say like, you know, there's the term like boy and guy and man, but there's really just girl or woman, right? Yeah. (laughs) There isn't like that in between. Um, There's not that idea of like, oh yeah, you're a teenage girl. You should go out and, you know, try new things and, and make mistakes and all of that. Um, Yeah. No, we're, I mean, girls are still very much, I think, denied a permission to exist in a way boys are not. Um, and I mean, but that speaks to just sort of our culture, our American culture as a whole, you know, being patriarchal and whatnot. Yeah. I was wondering, actually, would you be okay with reading a poem? Um, yeah. I was wondering if you would read First Generation. Sure. I love that one. That's so funny because my sister, I think my sister read that one and she's like, I don't know who you're talking about because that was not my experience. Mm. And I'm like, what? You know, I was like, I mean, you know, again, we all process sort of experience and we all hold memory accountable differently. But um, sure, uh, I'll read First Generation. We land on grass cracked cement, school bus spewing smoke on LA gears that no longer light up. Latchkey, wet and too cool for umbrellas. No one waits in the afternoon to figure out math or Mark Twain. Our, our folks work late, come home late. We land in bodegas or quarter juices and cigarettes, curse in a voice tongue, C's and R's spinning and unraveling spools of guttural blue. We are the tame horses wild with love dreams, galloping past streets, states, oceans, back to childhood summers where we met lovers at midnight among pines, speckled with darkness. We pedal then bruise. We unripe apples ripped off well before harvest. We land in adolescence. We never come of age. I love that. And that poem really enacts that blurring of landscapes that you talked about in one poem, right? Like you mm-hmm. are mixing the two. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I'm wondering what it was like for you going to school. Um, well, what schools did you go to uh like what high school did so, you go to so i went to um i i did um i, I lived in newark till i was 10 and then my parents moved to elizabeth so i went to wilson ave in newark and then i went to um school public school in elizabeth and eventually i went to a catholic high school in elizabeth called saint mary's and were you going to school with um lots of different kids who were in from immigrant families and or first generation kids oh yeah absolutely yeah um well elizabeth in particular is is largely um latino 
uh, African American and Portuguese as well, and, and Polish. It's, it's a very diverse, um, you know, as diverse as Newark anyway. And uh, I grew up. I mean, I had a group of friends in high school that we were. Um, most of us were Portuguese American, and you know, all our parents were uh, immigrants. They all came here, and we were we were all first generation. Um, so. It, my experience um, might, you know, although my like my childhood experience might not have been exactly like theirs, um, I I very much remember talking to my 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 Portuguese girlfriends and and us sort of always understanding, um, you know, what it meant to to sort of straddle the line between two cultures, um, some more than others, obviously. And so for teenagers who are being told like to hold on to their roots mm-hmm. who are in that fate, who are maybe in a phase of rebellion and trying to figure mm. out who you are. Um, mm. What did that look like for you and your group of friends? I thought that, you know, in order for me to feel truly Portuguese, um, I would, you know, I would drinking is a big part of our culture. So I definitely, you know, indulged in that. Um, I loved Portuguese music, so I always still heard it. It was always very much still a part of my, um, you know, my my music selection. Um, I, I took I took all of the really sort of misogynist and 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 like um, repressive cultural, you know, traditions and 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 practices that were, you know sort of put on me and, and, and my sister and, and other Portuguese American kids. And, and I sort of rebelled against that. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, besides, you know, indulging in drinking, like I said, it's, it is a big part of our culture. Um, I also fought back against all of that. So I said, I'm not going to be a good Portuguese girl. I'm not going to learn how to cook. I'm not going to spend my Saturdays cleaning. I'm not going to get married. And I'm not going to have kids. Um, you know, I'm going to, live my life and I'm going to be a writer and a teacher and, you know, an artist and travel and just, you know, be free essentially. Uh, so it, it's sort of funny how that, is, that is how I thought I could maintain a connection to, to my culture was sort of by rebelling against all the ugly parts of it or at least the ugly parts of it that my you know my family participated in um i always still ate portuguese food and i always loved portuguese food it was always sort of a main um source a main diet for me um was eating portuguese food um i i still went to portugal uh a few you know you know, here and there, not as much as when I was a kid, but I, I still went and um, I tried to keep in touch with my family as much as possible. Uh, so I, I think the values are what I took as well. You know, work hard, um, you know, respect your, your your mother and father and your family. I mean, that always remained a constant no matter what my uh, dynamic was with my parents. Um, and, and sort of a respect for 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 family and, and for hard work and, and for, um, for education. Um, so I, I took the good and the bad and, and, and I tried to become who I wanted to become, but without letting go of my Portuguese-ness, if that makes sense. Mm. And now that you do have two daughters, um, has that changed the way that you look at your what you want to hold on to and what you want to pass on to them well yeah so um when I grew up like the way uh, another thing too that we the way we taught we were taught to sort of perform or participate in our, our culture was by going to like the Portuguese club and going to um the the Portuguese celebrations the feast days or like Portugal Day weekend in Newark um and, and any sort of events that were Portuguese and part of the Portuguese community that they hosted. Um, and while those were great and they did keep me connected to the community and a part of it, um, I ne- one thing I, I sort of look back and, and wish I had had more of growing up was an understanding of Portuguese history, Portuguese literature, Portuguese art. Um, only maybe these past three years am I looking and see, and, and reading and, and, and digging and looking for like my Portuguese 
literary heritage, my Portuguese artistic heritage, mm-hmm. my, yeah, like I, like I, I was just like, how could I have the, the only person I knew artistically, um, you know, as, as a writer as, and as an artist was Amalia Rodriguez, which was, she's a father singer. She's the most famous father singer. So she's, she's like the default. That's what every Portuguese kid knows is, is Fadu. That's the music. You know, that's our music. And, um, she's, you know, the, the sort of the queen of Fadu, but, you know, I didn't know like Paula Rego, which is this really amazing feminist Portuguese artist, visual artist. Um, I, I, I never read José Luis Peixoto, his work until most recently when Hugo dos Santos, another Luso-American poet, um, translated his work. So only now am I starting to source um, really sort of connect with or, or remain connected to Portuguese-ness is by exploring history. And even when I, I just came back from Portugal, I was on vacation there and me and my partner traveled through and, and you know, um, we, we, we went to castles and we went to um, certain cities and, and we really checked out the street art there because we're both really passionate about that. And that's sort of my new way of, of entering my, my heritage and sort of maintaining it. And that's what I've passed on to my daughters. Um, you know, we brought them wherever we went and, and they toured Portugal with us. So they saw the landscape, they saw the people, they indulged in the sweets, and the foods and stuff. Um, and, and, you know, um, I'm really going to try to push that too. You know, these are Portuguese artists. These are Portuguese writers. These are Portuguese scientists and, and historians and whatever. That's sort of the legacy I want to, or the cultural inheritance I want to give them. And not so much, um, you know, the, the very old school of, you know, this is what it means to be Portuguese. And this is what it means to be a Portuguese family that, you know, I don't, that's not, that's not something I, I, you know, participate in, in anymore. Um, but all the rest, that's definitely something I want to keep exposing them to. Yeah. It's so interesting. Cause it's like the loose American mm-hmm. experience becomes its own unique culture. Right. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh yes. Yes. So it's like, you're going back even further to the source, right? You're going, mm-hmm. you're really like going back to the roots by being able to go back and, and also, like, yeah, uh, excavate those texts and art yes. and the, you know, what people have expressed. And from... a different understanding of what it meant to be Portuguese. Mm-hmm. You know, I had a very misogynist, heteronormative, Catholic Portuguese upbringing. Um, and, and you know, again, my parents did the best they could. My grandparents absolutely did the best they could for us. Um, and I'm so appreciative of all the values they passed down. Um, but there are things now that I'm investigating and there are ancestors that I want to discover, you know, outside of my, my blood relatives and stuff. I want to, I want to know what's the, what does it mean to be Portuguese as, you know, a, a writer, as an artist, as a feminist woman, as a cis woman as a queer woman um these are all parts of myself i haven't explored really tangled with um as a luso-american which i and i I like that you said that it's a very separate experience so the luso-american experience is not the portuguese experience and i learned that and that was super confirmed for me um not only this year but these past few years i've been going um being a portuguese woman in portugal from portugal is a very different experience than being a portuguese american woman living in America, um, drastically different, you know, in terms of what we hold even as what's important, um, maybe not drastically, but there are very different, you know, there are marker cultural markers that we don't share, um, and understandings that we don't share. And, um, that's okay. Um, we're not supposed to, um, because they, again, my, my Americanness is, is very much a big part of me as much as my Portuguese mm. part. And uh, that's something I'm also sort of trying to tap into where I spend so many years writing and trying to document and process what it meant to be, you know, the daughter of immigrants in Portuguese. I am now sort of writing from another angle. What does it mean to be American? Mm. You know, to have this history, to have this this ethnicity, this culture with me, but what does it mean to be American and an American woman and an American queer woman in today's, you know, in Trump's America, essentially? Yeah. Yeah. It makes me think about how people are starting to 
call out for white people to reconcile with our whiteness, you know, oh, like yeah. to mm-hmm. not just Absolutely. take it as yes. um, a non, it's not yeah. an absence. It is something. Yes. And in it the same way, yeah. like being American is mm-hmm. complicated, but it is something. And yes, it, it is. It, like your whole book, it you really integrate so much. And again, you integrate the good and the bad. And um, I feel like in terms of identity, there's so much integration going on in what you're doing of, um, and even the way that you're like, yeah, it's okay. It's different, but that's fine. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. And when you just mentioned having like the Catholic upbringing, it did remind me too that it, it seems like your grandmother had a strong sense of religion um, mm, yeah, or was absolutely. a religious woman. I was wondering if you might read um, Our Lady of Something. Would that mm-hmm. be okay? Absolutely. Um, and I'll just preface that by, yeah, my, my grandmother's very Catholic. My mother's very Catholic. Mm. Um, they are actually from villages that are part of the the district of Fatima and Fatima oh. itself is considered a holy site. So man, like, you know, I, like I, there's no, I had no other choice, but to be Catholic. Mm-hmm. And as much as I am very much a non-Catholic Catholic now, and I'm practicing and a very strong opponent of, you know, Catholic dogma. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's again, it's what, and, and just to speak on this and maybe we'll speak about this, you know, later on or, or, or at some point, um, there is this sort of reclamation of taking, you know, taking what was good and sort of holding on to that. Yeah. So, yes. So that was, you know, I was the, the, the Holy mother, you know, the, the divine feminine was always very much the source of, of, um, comfort, the source of, um, salvation for the women in, in these book in this book, um, and, and it, it's still something I, I, I deal with today. I mean, I, even a lot of my visual art, um, I have a series that's just our lady of somethings, whether mm-hmm. it's our lady of like consent or our lady of the dreamers or our lady of whatever, um, that, yeah, like that, I, I'm, I, I found, I knew it was a glaring that, you know, the, this, this divine feminine was a glaring part of the book, um, but that's very much true of, of, of my life and the speaker's life, both, you know, at the time and now. Um, but yeah, I'll read Our Lady of Something. Okay. Um, it was a trip, like participating in some of these rituals because I never understood. Like, I, I literally remember my mom saying, your grandmother paid for you to be in the procession. She paid for your costumes. She paid for you to be an angel or whatever I was. I can't remember. Or, or I was like a saint or something. So you have to you don't have a choice. And I was like, what? <laughs> yeah. So it, it, it's definitely a poem about a kid trying to figure out like what, what role, I guess, spirituality is playing in her life. Our Lady of Something. Avod donated enough to the church in the summer of 91 to make us angels in the feast days parade. I felt hollowed, indigo shrouded, bird thin hands feathered in ceremony. We walked the entire village, a two-mile journey that felt like 20, following four men with beaded foreheads and uncuffed shirts. A sweltering sun burned the tin of our halos, and my sister's wings kept slipping off her back. The dust kicked up by canes and tapping-tapping toddlers caked our ankles as scars sat audience to our devotion. With every step, I waited for roses to fall out of the sky, for the sun to spin, for holy water to drop down from the heavens, for Dona Rosa to walk again, for Senor Mario to see. Instead, Nossa Senora returned to her corner of the capella, her prodigious presence now a spider's shadow. De-winged, I swung on the playground across the street, sky rocking, the salt from my sweat breaking, whatever immortal light was left on my face. Mm, I love that. And I feel like I was drawn to it because I was raised Catholic and mm-hmm. then in college was was like, nope. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> right? yeah. and in the past few years have been trying to reclaim, especially like yes. yeah, the divine feminine, like there yeah. is this, it's not all the doctrine and dogma. And, um, yeah. and there's a lot lost when we allow certain people to interpret to interpret these stories and poems with an agenda and a very mm-hmm. clear agenda against women yeah right? yes right. um right. and uh and yeah to reclaim some of those women's voices and um there's a great image that someone 
gave to me recently of um rush like a russian nesting doll and the idea oh, that yes i love have them. you heard that like yes i have a poem about a russian oh, nesting doll. That's awesome. yeah. yeah and yeah. and she was saying you know it's like it's like um you can think of god as God is holding you and you are holding God yes. kind of like Russian nesting mm-hmm. dolls or like a mother with a baby in the womb. The baby yeah. has the mother's DNA inside of her yeah, and the mother's holding the baby inside of her. Yeah. And, um, yeah. Yeah. And I just noticed it felt to me in reading the book that the speaker has this relationship with God. That's kind of like, I don't really buy that, but I'm still kind of drawn to some of this. Like, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, it, it was very, it's very complicated because as much as it was a source of comfort for the speaker and for the speaker's mother and grandmother, she was also very, this idea of, of, um, you know, the Virgin Mary, right. Yes. It, it, it very, was very problematic and it yep. remains problematic in a lot of cultures where it sets up, you know, the dichotomy of this is what a good woman is yep. and this is a good woman is supposed to suffer. And, you know, as, so I had this very contentious relationship with, with, with God and even with our lady. Cause I'm just like, yeah, you, you're going to help us get through this. But at the same time, like you're the model and you're not that great because like you don't speak up and you just cry and <laughs> like, you know, you just think prayer is the answer to everything. So, you, you know, like, and, and again, that's something as an adult, I'm trying to reclaim and sort of see that um, that's very much the version we were taught, right? That, that, you know, if we look at it, you know, from, from a different angle that this woman, um, you know, who said, who knows if she was taught to be, you know, she was definitely not a virgin, right? You know, she had other kids, you know, she was essentially like the, you know, the first baby mama, really, if you think about it, like (laughs) you can sort of look at her in sort of these different shades. Right. And, and even now as a mother to, you know, to think about her having to deal with a son who was essentially an anarchist or socialist. Right. And, and her having to bear the the weight of that. Um, it's, it's a, it's a, you know, you can, you can kind of look at Mary and, and, and see, um, that there is power in, in, in who, you know, in the person or the, the notion of who she is, um, which there's, I absolutely could not have seen that as a child. I just saw, you know, this model, this role model that, um, I was supposed to be this thing. Um, and if I prayed to her, she would help me be this thing. Yeah. And I think like going back to the, the female adolescence thing, I kind of had the, I went the opposite version of you. I went the, the, I went the way of, okay, so I'm just going to be, I'm going to try to be a perfect girl. I'm going to, I'm going to be polite and I'm going to, you know, and I'm going to not do bad, quote unquote, bad bad things. things. Um, And I really think a lot of my view of myself did come from that, that very immature religious view of Mary and what it means to be a woman and what it means to be a good woman. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I didn't realize that about your your visual art, but I, I I'd be so curious to see your different ladies, <laughs> our ladies <Yeah>. of. <laughs> yeah, I have like a Our Lady of Me Too, mm. and uh, it's really just her kind of like surrounded by wolves, calling up like all these women who have been yeah assaulted. Yeah, I I think that's you know, and that's sort of my way to. That's how I negotiate you know, my, my, my Catholicism is, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to turn this around on, on, on you. Like, I'm really going to try to, you know, live by the principles that like you, you know, Catholicism actually preaches and, 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 and treat women with respect and, and, and demand respect and demand fairness and equality and, and, you know, compassion. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, but, but as a whole, like, the Virgin Mary, the divine feminine, the, this uh, a matriarchal God is it, it looms over Portuguese culture. I mean, just the fact that we have a site that's considered holy. Mm. I mean, it, we're just I, don't know, I think women, Portuguese women in general, like we're set up to, for failure, mm. you know, in that sense. But um, but it gives us a lot to think about and work with, I think. And I guess that's one part of my inheritance that I, I, I continue with is I very much do um, have a, a sort of a spiritual relationship with this notion of a maternal sort of female 
spirited or... yeah or force you know but yeah so that's that hasn't left me you know that, that's definitely part of that that's a big element of, of my sort of portuguese-ness mm. um but that works for me um so so yeah i mean i have i i, I collect like virgin mary statues and i'm sort of obsessed with with her and, and that's definitely cultural that's definitely something i inherited um from you know being portuguese I, I did want to talk about, you know, you mentioned when you were growing up in Newark, there's this sense of it's not safe and like you kind of felt trapped and um, to you do live in Newark now. No, no, I, I lived in Newark. I, oh, moved, okay. I moved to Union um, six years ago. Yeah, oh, six okay. years ago. I moved to Union. But I mean, I'm, I'm, in, I'm I, all my work is Newark based. Yeah. Um, I wrote, I'm part of a collective that is Newark based. I'm in Newark a lot, you know, uh, I'm probably in Newark more than I'm in, you know, if I'm outside of my home, I'm, I'm probably in Newark, yeah. um, the majority of, of, of the times. Uh, so Newark will always very much remain my home. Um, you know, both, I guess, spiritually. Right. And, um, my writing home, I mean, mm-hmm. besides my MFA and besides sort of being this constant muse, um, yeah, Newark is my home, no matter sort of where I sleep, it's, it's, it's home. It seems like you do a lot to to create a sense of community, especially for poets and writers and to create spaces mm-hmm. for community. Like you you did have a reading series for a while. I don't know if you're yeah. still actively mm-hmm. doing yeah, that yeah. at the moment. Um, and like mm-hmm. you just said, you have the Brick City Collective now. Um, and I was just wondering kind of when you, when you feel like you started really making these, these, intentional efforts to create these spaces and like and to and why it's important for you to have these community elements mm-hmm. so yeah I, I started BCC after um, I graduated from my MFA program um, blindly thinking oh my goodness like now like where, where am I going to do writing and how am I going to hear poetry you know and in, in my very sort of privileged way of not realizing that there were already open mics there were already mm-hmm. reading series happening in Newark um that obviously I weren't wasn't part of those specific communities so I didn't really know about them but I learned about them by starting you know when I did start um my reading series and I invited people from different sort of um communities in Newark to participate in reading series and just sort of be part of the landscape as much as I could, um, in terms of Newark arts. Um, but yeah, I felt it was important. Um, only because like I said, a lot of my work centers around Newark. Um, so I, I wanted to contribute to it. I wanted to be part of the conversation. Um, and I wanted to, I don't want to say be a voice for the Luso American part of Newark, but I, I did want to add my voice mm-hmm. um, as a Luso American woman to, you know, to the poetry of Newark, to the art of Newark, um, to you know the the sort of the creative landscape of Newark. Could you talk a little bit about the Brick City Collective, um, what it looks like right now, and what you guys are doing? Sure. Um, so I, I asked um, very close uh, Newark-based writer friends of mine um, if they would want to be part of a collective where we do readings together, we do panels together, we, you know, we do our own individual, you know, projects and, and, and art projects and writing projects, but we always sort of support each other and each other's efforts. Um, and so Brook City Collective is um, eight members now, um, Newark-based, multicultural, um, multimedia uh group and we we all all of our creative or literary efforts are um in 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 um in the vein of social change um helping not only newark but the surrounding areas our own communities um you know whether it's our queer community our latino community our african-american community our portuguese american community our you know women of newark whatever whatever sort of the whatever sort of area we can contribute to and support, um, we try to. So um, we have meet, uh, we have readings once a month at the Newark Library. Um, it's one Wednesday a month. Generally, it's the third Wednesday of the month, but that can change. And uh, a bunch of us read in, in the Newark Library and kind of hold court and hang out with the audience and do a little Q&A and just, you know, see what people are writing about and talking about. 
um, and kind of engage in the community in that way. So um, it's it's my way to remain connected to Newark. And in being connected to Newark, it's my way of staying connected to sort of my roots, right? My, 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 my Luso-Americanness, um, because it's all connected in my head. Mm-hmm. You know, the writing, Newark, being Portuguese, um, and, and, and sort of maintaining my, my cultural identity. Um, there, everything is sort of tangled together. I have one last uh, question, which is, is there something that you are learning or growing into about yourself right now, either as a writer, as a poet, or just in life? Yeah, so um, I I guess as a writer, as a person, um, as a citizen, um, I'm just, I, I think more and more, there's so much working against us as people, whether it's, you know, natural things like, you know, illnesses and sicknesses and accidents and whatever the case is, but also socially um, and, and culturally even, right? Um, the fact that we're still, you know, like we're talking about, you know, uh, you know, abortion and, and, and banning people from coming into the country and and people's right to marry and people's right to exist and kids in cages like I, more and more every day I realize that we have to be active citizens and that um, we have to really make change in in whatever way we can even if it's literally by just informing people um and sometimes i'm way more active than you know um i can handle and other times i you know my activism might just you know rest on a a facebook not facebook because i don't really mess with facebook but and like an instagram rant you know about you know whatever it is that i feel you know is a major injustice and there are so many injustices every day there's a new injustice every day there's a new crisis every day there's a new you know horrible thing that needs you know our attention and that needs our voice or that needs our support and so it's you know it's I, I knew adulthood was good, you know, it was going to be hard, <laughs> but what I didn't expect to, to grow up and realize was that, um, to be a good person, um, and to, to be a, a good citizen, um, and, and that, whether that means being a mother, a writer, a partner, an employee, whatever the case is, it's definitely engaging with your community and engaging with the people around you and, and, and using yourself and your body and your words to make, your space, you know, one of peace and one of justice and one of, you know, I guess, well-being. Amen. <laughs> I for definitely, real. I've learned a lot from your Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it's crazy. I feel like I'm just like a, like I take what like BuzzFeed tells me and I just like yell about it <laughs> in like IG stories. But I mean. No, it's great. I, there have been people that I've been like, oh, Marina has posted a bunch of stuff from this person and it's always really, really um, powerful. I need to start following this person. And yeah. So oh, thank you. Awesome. I'm glad. I'm glad. <laughs> um, would you be cool with reading like one more poem to close out? Absolutely. Be all yeah. right. um, is there one that you feel like reading tonight? I, I definitely want to read one about him just because I, you know, he, he's, I feel like he's, he stays alive through this stuff. Um, these days, which is sort of about um, the last few years of his life. Mm. These days, small and skeletal as a newborn chick, Avua whistles a tune his stepmother would hum before heading to the fields. His eyes, pools of April rain on a sunny rooftop, blink to church bells marking lunch hour. He grabs an apple, thumbs the dirt off its sides, takes a slow bite, he walks with my mother to the gate and asks her, Levas mal medico amanhã, né, graça? After kissing him goodbye, she reminds him that she's leaving in the morning. She will only return next summer. He watches a spider work. Cars zoom by. Time, time is a wind that erodes moments once framed, storied, argued over. He can't remember the alien invader in Spanish senorita costumes he made me in my youth, but wonders if American men still get their suits hand-tailored, what the cost of that is these days. Thank you so much. I, I love that. Thank you, Victoria. I'm so happy 
that we had this conversation. I loved it. I could have talked Same. to you for like two more hours. Um, Same. Eventually, <laughs> and... people would have tuned out. So <laughs> yeah, I think but I would have been so happy. <laughs> um, and before we hang up, where can people mm-hmm. find you and your work? Well, my, my book is out um, and available for sale um, at getfreshbooksllc.com. Um, and uh, I'm very active on Instagram. Uh, my handle is at uh, Save the Bathwater. So it's pretty easy to find me there. Um, I'm on Facebook too, but I'm kind of like a ghost or like one of those creepy people that doesn't really post anything <laughs> but exists there. You're always watching. Um, but yes, Get Fresh Books is, is, is where um, they can find my book and my awesome. work. And you'll be having yes. a book launch party? Yes, um, October 27th at the Newark Library in the James Brown room, which I'm so excited. Oh, I can't even awesome. imagine what a room called James <laughs> Brown looks like. Super excited for it. It's actually a dual party, me and my um, my press mate, Victor Alcinder, who has an amazing book out as well called Stand Mute. We're doing um, a, a joint book launch. Uh, so it's going to be fun. It's going to be a lot of poetry and um maybe wine but definitely you know food and 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 wonderful people and hopefully amazing conversations so that's absolutely open to the public and anyone and everyone should come awesome and hang out thank you so much thank you victoria like the episode i hope that you'll share it and subscribe on itunes or wherever you get your podcasts and leave a review it helps people to find the podcast thank you thank you thank you so much for listening i hope you'll join me next time